Morning, everybody. Welcome to Good News. My name is Jeff, and I'm excited to see you all here this morning. Um, we're in the second week of our four-week lesson series entitled Fully Functioning Followers Give. And if you weren't able to be here last Sunday, I want to strongly recommend that you pick up a free CD at our Welcome Center, or you can um, listen to the lesson online through our G&G app, um, because the lessons in this series build on each other. Um, probably the best way to think of them maybe is like a jigsaw puzzle. Each week we'll add pieces of the puzzle, and then at the end of the series, hopefully you have the complete picture of what we're trying to get across. Now, <clears throat> one of the things that we learned last week is that when we use this phrase, fully functioning follower, we're talking about the fact that people who genuinely follow Jesus Christ, their lives tend to operate or function in a particular way. Their lives exhibit certain characteristics. They display certain attributes that are kind of readily observable uh, in the way that they choose to live their lives. And we illustrate that idea of a fully functioning follower with the G diagram. And it kind of goes like this. Fully functioning followers, they, they first of all get the good news of Jesus Christ. They understand that he came to the earth to die on a cross for our sins and then he rose from the grave. And they not only get that, but they're also growing. In other words, they're becoming more and more like Christ over time. And then they give themselves in service to others, just as Jesus asked his followers to do. He's very clear about that. In fact, he said, I didn't come to serve, to be served. I came to serve and to give my life, to give himself as a ransom for others. Not only do they get and grow and give, but they also go into their homes, their schools, their workplaces, their churches, their communities to share the good news with other people. So, so when we say fully functioning followers give, we're not talking about giving money. Okay, I want to make sure everybody's clear on that. Biblical generosity is actually a spiritual growth issue. So that would come under the grow aspect of the G diagram. Fully functioning followers give is about giving ourselves in service to others. Okay? So <clears throat> the other day, um, the, actually the day after my surgery on my shoulder, Cheryl drives me to my very first physical therapy appointment because I'm still not supposed to drive. We arrive a few minutes early, and as you do in a, in a waiting room at, at a facility like that, you sign in and all that, and, and, and if, you're, if you're an introvert like me, small areas inhabited by people you don't know are kind of awkward, okay? Now, I noticed in the waiting room that it's empty except for this one other woman that's sitting in there. Now, me being me, I'm heading for the chairs at the far end of the waiting room, right? Um, Cheryl being Cheryl, and she sits down directly across from this woman I don't know, right? And she doesn't know her either. So I settle into a seat by Cheryl, and we sit there kind of in silence. Cheryl's filling out my paperwork, and, and all three of us are basically minding our own business, waiting to get called back. And this, this woman looks at us and says, you guys are from Good News Gathering, right? Now, now I've been in this church business long, long enough to know that this could go either really good or really bad. You know what I mean? 
And, and so me being me, I'm thinking, do I say yes or do I say that depends? Um, I'm, I'm not sure, right? And I'm thinking about this. Cheryl being Cheryl immediately says yes, okay? And then the woman says this. She says, would you pray for me and my family? And she proceeds to tell us about some tough family issues that she's facing. So Cheryl digs my prayer journal out of my briefcase and she writes this lady's name in it so we can continue to pray for her in the coming days. And so here we are, three strangers standing in this waiting room holding hands and praying. And I, I'm, I can just imagine the office staff behind the counter is probably thinking, what's going on out there? But I, I pray for this woman in, in her family situation. I ask God to give her wisdom to help her navigate the issues that are going on there, and not just to navigate them, but to have the strength to actually do what she knows is the right thing to do. And she must have been able to tell that I was kind of winding down, and, but... But then out of the blue, before I could say amen, she jumps in. And she says, I want to pray for you. And then she said this. She said, good news does so much good in our community and you help so many people. God put it on my heart to start praying for you a couple weeks ago. Because good news is getting ready to explode and reach more people. Three total strangers praying for each other in a waiting room. We prayed for her and then she prayed for us and all of you. And when we finish, I'm kind of grappling with what she just said. Cheryl being Cheryl, she's, she's crying and, and hugging this woman I don't know. Um, now, this woman that I continue to pray for, who as far as I know, has never attended this church. She has an impression that this church is a beacon of hope. A light in our community. A source of help for people who need help. Now, I, I don't know if this church is about to explode. I, I, don't, I don't know that's in God's hands. I don't know if we will have a greater impact in the coming years for good in our community than ever before. I hope we will. I pray we will. I don't know if we will reach one more person for Christ or 10 or 100 or 1,000 or 10,000. That's in God's hands. I mean, I'm just Jeff. Those kind of questions are slightly above my pay grade. But I do know this. This much I know to the very core of my being. I know what it will take for us to be the kind of church that God can trust with greater impact and expanding influence for good in our community. I know that. 
I know what it will take for us to be the kind of church that God can trust with the eternal destinies of people who are far from him. That I know. And in your outline, that's that white sheet you all received on your way in with holes punched on the side. There's a box at the top of that outline that says this. In order for G&G to be the church God is calling us to be, we must possess, first of all, an uncompromising commitment to God's word. An uncompromising commitment to God's word. If we're going to be the kind of church that God is calling us to be, we have got to have an uncompromising commitment to God's word. And secondly, we have to have a relentless desire to follow Christ. A relentless desire to follow Christ. And I know some of you are probably thinking, you're thinking, well, Jeff, don't you have those first two out of order? I mean, shouldn't the relentless desire to follow Christ come before like a reference to the Bible? I mean, seriously? I mean, Christ, you know, he should be, you know, right? Here's a problem. Without an uncompromising commitment to the truth found in God's word, you have no idea who Jesus was, what he said, or what he did. Without the Bible, Jesus is nothing more than a figment of your imagination, a Jesus of fiction rather than fact, because the facts are here. All of a sudden, you take this away, he is reduced to the silliness of statements like, well, my Jesus wouldn't do that, or my Jesus would never say that. The Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that we don't get to decide what he would say or what he would do. Because the Bible tells us what he said and what he did. And the only real question is, will we accept him on his terms? Or will we attempt to recreate him in our image? Okay? Now the third thing in order for G&G to be the church God's calling us to be is we must possess a persistent passion for people far from God. A persistent passion for people far from God. You think about it, friends. This is why Jesus came to the earth. Because he was passionate about you and me, people far from God, until we met him. And the fourth thing is this. If we're going to be the church God's calling us to be, we must possess a team player mindset. A team player mindset. Everyone who calls G&G their church home must view themselves as a player on a team. A functional part of a team effort. Now, the title of today's lesson is Team Players. And during this series, what we're doing each week in this series is we're learning from four guys, four Bible characters that you might not expect to learn from. In fact, some of them you may never have heard of before. The Bible doesn't actually tell us a whole lot about these guys. It gives us some very limited details about some of them, but we can learn from what the Bible does tell us because these guys are just somewhat obscure. In fact, they're better known not in their own right. They're better known in the fact that they were associated with a guy Christians call the Apostle Paul. 
Now, Paul was one of the towering figures in the New Testament. He was the greatest Christian missionary who ever lived. He planted churches all across the Roman Empire. He wrote most of the books of the New Testament. And yet, each one of these guys, even though they're not him, they don't get all the print he gets in the New Testament, each one of these guys played a significant role in Paul's life in ministry. They were team players who made a crucial impact for the cause of Christ through what they did in their association with Paul. And today we're going to learn from a team player by the name of Barnabas. Now, our focus verse is a passage written by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. It's up here on the screens. Let's all recite it together. Here we go. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now think about what he's saying. He says, he begins with therefore. In other words, he's, he's, re, he's, he's referring to what he had talked about just before he wrote this passage. And what he was talking about is he's, he's basically saying, because we have victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ, and through his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. In other words, what he's saying here is don't get discouraged. Don't get overwhelmed by the evil that you see in the world around you. Hang tough. And then he says this. Always. Always. All the time. Not part of the time. Not some of the time, not just when it's convenient. Always, he says, give yourselves. There's that phrase we like to use here. Give yourselves how? He says, give yourselves fully. In other words, 100%. No holding back. Sold out. Full speed. Not half-hearted. Give yourselves fully to what? To the work of the Lord. To the work of the Lord. What has Jesus called us to do? He called us to impact the world for him. He called us to be people of influence in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools. For him, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say you'll see the product of your labor. It doesn't say that, does it? You may, you may not. But if you are serving the Lord, whether you see it or not, it is not in vain. God is working through it and he will make something happen when you serve in his kingdom. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to learn from the life of a man who's kind of not in the spotlight in the Bible. He operates a little bit more on the periphery, a little bit more in the shadows, and yet his life was so high impact. Father, I pray that every one of us in this room would be inspired by Barnabas and commit ourselves to serving you fully because we know that the labor we conduct for you is not in vain. 
For this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if you've ever played team sports, I hope that at some point in your team experience, you had a chance to play on a team that was truly a team. Every player did not just their best, but they did their part. There's a difference, an important difference. Regardless of what their role or position was on the team, they played it for all they were worth. Why? Because in team sports, nobody can do it all alone. Now, some positions on the team may be more visible. Some positions may get more attention or more acclaim from people in the stands that don't play the game. But people who really know the sport know that it takes the whole team working together to achieve achieve success. And sometimes, actually, the most important people on the field are not the ones you notice. Each player fulfilling their assigned role and supporting and encouraging the rest of the team. And on great teams, there's this built-in sense of accountability. I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not, but if you've ever been on a good team, you do your level best, regardless of what role you play, in part, because you don't want to let your teammates down. You want them to be able to trust that you're going to get done your assigned role. You want them to depend on you because you realize how vital your role is. Now, chances are, if you played team sports very long, you probably also had the opportunity to play on a team that wasn't a team. It's brutal. It's agonizing. You got players who don't really do their part. You got some who are more concerned about who got to play or who got to play what position than, than whether or not they won or lost. It wasn't really a team. It was actually just a bunch of individuals who just happened to wind up in the same color uniforms. Regardless of how talented they might have been individually, teams like this tend to take a beating as well they should. Okay? I have no sympathy for that. Talent almost never trumps a team. And what's true of sports teams is true of organizations, it's true of workplaces, it's true of ministries, and it's true of churches. In order to achieve success, it takes a team of people working together. It takes team players. And what we're going to learn from today is we're going to learn from Barnabas what it takes to be a great team player, okay? And we're also going to learn four truths about the mindset of a team player. We first encounter Barnabas in the book of Acts. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with the Bible, there's, there's this part of the Bible called the New Testament. It's kind of the back part of the Bible, and that's the part that begins with Jesus, okay? Everything before the New Testament is actually before Jesus comes on the earth. And there's these four books that are kind of like biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the fifth book is a book called Acts, which is a history of about the first 25 to 35 years after Jesus left the earth. And so it's a history book of the early church. And you may be wondering, why'd they, call it the, why'd they call it Acts? Okay, well, it's a history of some of the acts of some of the apostles. Their actions, what they did. What they said, what they did, where they went. Some of the acts, it says, I, I said some of the acts, it's not all. Some of the apostles, it doesn't cover them all, it just covers a select few. In fact, after we're introduced to Saul, 
which we talked about quite a bit last week, who would later become known as the Apostle Paul, the book of Acts really focuses in heavily on him. But we first encounter Barnabas in Acts 4, before Saul becomes a Christian. And it's an event that occurred probably within the first two years after Jesus returned to heaven. The church was growing rapidly. The religious establishment was beginning to take notice. They had arrested Peter and John right before this event, but then they released them the very next day. They let, they let them out of jail, and they didn't, didn't beat them. Okay? They didn't harm them on this particular occasion. So the church wasn't yet being persecuted, and the Bible tells us this. It says, all the believers were in one heart and mind. In other words, there was spiritual unity within the church. Now, when you think about it, this is amazing when you consider how rapidly the church grew. I mean, in one day, not too long before this, the church had they baptized 3,000 people in one day. And Acts 2 indicates that the church began, continued to grow after that day on a daily basis. People, more people were being added to the church. And yet they were in unity spiritually. It goes on to say, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. So understand, there was no rule or requirement in this. It was an ex a spontaneous expression of love among the brothers and sisters within the church family. So this is, you know, don't, don't, this is not some sort of church-sponsored communism. There was no requirement that they do that. It was something that was voluntary and that those that had did. And it goes on to say this, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And so the unity and the generosity of the church empowered the apostles' preaching. Because everybody that was hearing them preach and talk about Jesus and the, and the difference that he makes in people's lives could look at the church and see it happening. I mean, these people take care of each other. These, these people love one another and they care for each other and they're unified. And man, where do you see that in the world? Not in the average workplace. And it goes on to say this. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. They eliminated poverty within the church. Isn't that cool? For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Why was God's grace so powerfully at work in them all? Because of their selflessness. They thought beyond themselves. It wasn't, it, it was what's best for everybody, not what's in it for me. Okay? How can I help you? Not, what am I getting out of this? They had the ability to think beyond themselves. And then we encounter this man, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, Joseph was apparently now living in Jerusalem, but he was originally from the island of Patmos, or excuse me, Cyprus. It was an island in the Mediterranean Sea about 250 miles north of Jerusalem. So as far as we know, he had moved from that island down to Jerusalem. And he's operating there in the church, and he, and he exhibits this tremendous generosity. 
He obviously has some wealth. He owns some land, and wealth in those days was kind of the, the signifier of wealth. And yet he sells it and gives all the money to the apostles to be distributed among the poor. And the apostles nickname him. So we, we know him today as Barnabas. It wasn't actually his name. It was his nickname. But it means son of encouragement. In other words, he was an encourager. He's one of those people that just had a way of raising everybody around him. Raising the level of their play. The other people on the team. Because he was so encouraging. And as we learned throughout Acts, he was also a tremendous teacher and preacher in his own right. And friends, the very first thing we learn is this. Barnabas teaches us that fully functioning followers possess a kingdom first mentality. A kingdom first mentality. Like Barnabas, they ask, what's best for the kingdom instead of what's best for me? They think beyond themselves. It's about the kingdom first and what is going to move it forward. How is it going to have greater impact? Not just, how's this going to impact me? Friends, team player mindset number one is this. It's not about me. If you're going to be a great team player, the very first thing you've got to come to the conclusion on is this. It's not about you. It's about what's best for the team. It's about what's best for the whole. It's about achieving the goal of the team rather than your own individual goal. You know, I remember 21 years ago when Christ called this church into existence, we understood this mindset was vital if we were going to make it off the ground. And believe me, friends, there were some times in those early days when I wasn't sure this thing was going to work. I can remember sometimes laying in bed at night and looking at my wife and saying, where are we going to go to church if this thing folds up? I remember being scared a lot. I remember a meeting that took place at my law office with the original core group of this church where we had asked one of the people on the team who, who knew about finances what, we, what he actually thought it would take for us to get this thing off the ground to start. So he we went out and did a little research. And this is what a sound system is going to cost us. This is what this is going to cost us. We've got to get a truck to load all our equipment in to, to drive it to wherever we can rent. And this is probably what rent's going to cost us, $17,000. <laughs> I'll never forget it because we passed a baseball hat around the room that night. Everybody had a little piece of paper and they folded that paper up and just put it in. No names. How much can you give? came out to over $17,000. You know, the people in that room that night realized, you know what, it's not about my bank account because I know some of them went into their savings account and raided those. It's not just about me. What can I sell? What can I get rid of? What can I sacrifice to make this work? To get this to happen. See, that's the attitude that a team player has because their outlook is for what's best for the whole. What's going to move the cause forward? The Bible tells us that when he, and this is referring here to Saul, the character that we met last week, when he came to Jerusalem, 
He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Now, if you remember, Saul was this former persecutor of Christians. He was the guy who had vowed to destroy the church, and he was bent on doing it. He was there when the very first Christian martyr was executed by stoning. And the Bible indicates that he gave his approval to this act. And then he went to the chief priests in Jerusalem and asked them to give him permission to go to this other town in Damascus, which is about 150 miles north of Jerusalem, in order to round up Christians there to arrest them. But on the way to Damascus, he has an encounter with Jesus that changes his life. And now he's a Christian. And so he goes back to Jerusalem trying to probably make amends to some degree, but also to become part of the church family. And they're scared of him, as would we be. They're not sure he's legit. They're concerned that maybe he's a spy. But then it says this, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Now, notice Barnabas here. He's not just encouraging and teaching in the church in Jerusalem. Here he steps out on faith, assuming the risk that Saul might be engaged in an undercover attempt to ferret out Christians, but he takes the risk and he meets with them and he hears them out and somewhere along the line he believes Saul is telling the truth, that he's actually met Jesus and he's changed his life. And then Barnabas, get this, he stakes not only his own life, but the life of the apostles on the idea that Saul is telling the truth. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. I wonder how many of them were scared to death. You talk about a step of faith. Maybe it'd be better described as a leap. But you can imagine he grew exponentially through this experience. He stands up for this guy nobody else would stand up for. It says this. He told them, and this is a reference to to Barnabas. He tells the apostles how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And you think about the growth in Saul. Because of Barnabas, now he's accepted by the church in Jerusalem. And what does it say? So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, the very town where he had previously been known as a persecutor of the church, he is now moving about freely, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Whoa. In fact, he's so effective, it says, he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. He was so effective speaking out for Jesus Christ that some of the Jewish leaders decided to try and take him out. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. They sent him back to his home. They're like, man, you got to get out of here. He's on. You better lay low for a while. And friends, the second thing we have to understand is that fully functioning followers commit to grow and develop for the good of the team. 
Man, as you look at Barnabas, as we walk through Acts with him, we watch him, you see him grow and develop. He begins with just biblical generosity. Then he takes this leap of faith with the most notorious enemy of the church. And then at some point, we'll see the apostles giving him even greater assignments with greater responsibility. But he's growing and he's developing. And because of his encouragement, so can Saul. And friends, team player mindset number two is this. I will pursue excellence for the cause of Christ. I will pursue excellence for the cause of Christ. Doing the very best that we can do. No holding back. You know, in the early days of Good News Gathering, we learned pretty quickly that pursuing excellence did not mean pursuing perfection. It was just doing the very best we could with what we had available because in the old days guys i mean when we started at southern state community college i mean we didn't have anything hardly we had this little box truck with all of our equipment that we would load on and then we would drive out to the facility at seven in the morning because that's as early as we could get in we had to set everything up and then at the end of the service we'd have to break everything back down put it back on the truck drive back to my house And I'm telling you, friends, our children's program suffered back in those days. We had fabulous people working in that program, but it was difficult. Because here you are in an adult facility, and you're trying to make these rooms kid-friendly. And man, it was hard. And sometimes it didn't work so good. And I remember there were times when we had to set up our children's rooms in hallways because for some reason they were using rooms and we weren't allowed to use rooms that, that, that we thought we were going to be allowed to use. And so, so here we got kids in hallways, right? And we're, we got, we're using like cardboard dividers to try and, try and have rooms for them. And our teachers just did fabulous work. But man, it was tough. And that's why when we built the ministry center, we wanted to create a state-of-the-art children's area. We wanted an area that was safe because I was scared all the time at Southern State because we couldn't control who came in and out of the building. Other groups met there and we didn't know who these people were and sometimes they'd come walking through our children's area because, you know, it's a public building. (laughs) That's why we determined when we build this ministry center, it's going to be safe. It's going to be a great learning environment. We already got great teachers. We know the content's going to be killer, but... We're going to provide them with an environment that helps our children become fully functioning followers of Christ. Friends, you pursue excellence with what you have available at at the time. The Bible goes on to tell us this. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, Stephen was the very first Christian martyr, and scholars believe that he was probably executed about five years after Jesus went back to heaven. And when that persecution broke out in Jerusalem, the Christians scattered. Many of them left Jerusalem and went to other towns, like Damascus and and other places of that sort. It says, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, which on the map there, Phoenicia is the coastline between Damascus and Antioch. It's up in, up in that area. 
But they went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus. Cyprus is that island out in the Mediterranean Sea that you see there where Barnabas was originally from. And also Cyrene. This is fascinating. Cyrene is actually in North Africa, uh, probably in what is now Egypt. And they went to a town called Antioch, which you see there on your map as well. Spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. So not only are Christians beginning to spread out away from Jerusalem, but now they are beginning to spread the good news, not just to Jewish people, but also to non-Jews. That's what the word Greeks mean there. Now, some of you may find that interesting that Cyrene is mentioned because you may remember that when Jesus was carrying his cross, another man was asked or forced to carry it for him. The guy's name was Simon of Cyrene. Now, <clears throat> the Bible tells that the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So the good news is spreading and this church in Antioch is growing. Things are happening. This church is on fire. And the Bible goes on to tell us, tell us news of this reached the church in Jerusalem. So the, the apostles down in Jerusalem, they're starting to hear about this church that's way up in, in Antioch. Man, it's growing. Things are happening and, and it's growing outside the ethnic group that we're used to. So what do they do? It says they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So Barnabas is increasing in influence. He's not only generous, he's willing to give Saul a chance, but he's trusted by the church leaders in Jerusalem and they send him up there to see what's going on, to check it out. And it says when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and, this figures, encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. So he encourages them true to his character. He was a good man, it says, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. One scholar said it this way, wherever Barnabas appears in Scripture, people are attracted to God. Wouldn't you love for that to be said about you? In his home, people are attracted to God. In his workplace, people are attracted to God. At her school, people are attracted to God. Why? Because she's a fully functioning follower of Christ. He's a fully functioning follower of Christ. The Bible then says this, very fascinating. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. So Barnabas travels a hundred miles from Antioch to Tarsus looking for this guy that he had introduced to the apostles back in Jerusalem. It says, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples, get this guys, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. First time that term was used. First time followers of Christ were actually called Christians was at this church in Antioch where Barnabas and Saul were preaching. 
And friends, I find this vast fascinating because point number three is this. Fully functioning followers value the contributions of others. And this is one of the things I just love about Barnabas. Because I can imagine when he rolled into Antioch, he was kind of big man on campus. You think about it. Here's this church that's way away from Jerusalem, way away from all the apostles. All kind of cool things are happening, but then the apostles send this guy in to check on them, right? Go up there and see what's happening. And he comes rolling in. Everybody knows who he is. Everybody knows he's sent by the apostles from the mother church in Jerusalem, right? And yet, what does he do? He's not there very long before he takes off for Tarsus to locate another gifted leader and communicator. Think about what that says about his character. It's not about me. It's not about me being the big man on campus. It's about effectiveness. And I think this Saul guy can help us. He saw value in Saul. And team player mindset number three is this. My impact is maximized in the context of a team. Your impact and my impact is maximized when we have a team of people to work with. You know, in the early days, we knew if we were going to survive, one thing had to happen. And it was this. Everybody had to have an all-hands-on-deck mentality. We couldn't have anybody at Good News Gathering in the early days. It just took up a seat. That wasn't going to work. Everybody had to roll up their sleeves and get involved. And I remember when we first started, because the truck uh, was, was in, in a garage of my house, I was the one that drove the truck um, and, and worked uh, with, with other guys on the setup crew. And I'll never forget one of the great days of my life, okay? Um... It was about 18 months in, and the leader of the setup crew came to me and said, I don't want you coming in here anymore with the setup crew. He said, I've got plenty of volunteers. You concentrate on teaching. You don't have to do this anymore. And you know... I'll never forget that because he was right. There are certain things I can do that, that maybe other people, you know, they can do other things. But if they do the very best that they can do at what they do and then I'm freed up to do the very best that I can do with, with what gifts God has given me, then the whole thing gets better and stronger. You know, I think about the fact that, friends, these days, this thing has gotten so big, stuff happens, and I don't even know. <laughs> People come up to me in the atrium sometimes and say, hey, Jeff, what about this? And I'm like, what is that? <laughs> um, and the cool thing about it is that I don't have to know everything. Because we have capable, competent people doing stuff that's, that's way beyond my capability. I, I think about, you know, I love that video by Lee because I don't know anything about gardening. You know, I look at it and say, it looks good, Lee, you know? And friends, if we're going to continue impacting our community, if we're going to be the kind of church that that woman in the waiting room says we are, everybody's got to be involved. See, you're not here by accident. 
If you're here and you consider this your church home, God brought you here because you have a gift or a talent or ability or some skill that we desperately, desperately need in order to maximize our effectiveness for Christ. And I know sometimes if you're kind of new, you might walk in here and you might think, well, man, this, this is kind of a big church for this area. Kind of looks like they got stuff going, you know, pretty good. Not sure that, you know, there's a place for me to get involved. Wrong, 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 wrong. There are opportunities all over this ministry for you to get involved. And we want you to get involved. Now, it's interesting that the Bible goes on to tell us, it says, now the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And then it goes on to list them. Barnabas gets listed first. Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So this cat may have had some, you know, his family may have been aristocrats. And then there was Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So Barnabas and Saul, they're part of what some scholars believe was almost like a teaching dream team at this church. You had Barnabas, you had Simeon, you had Lucius, you had Manan, and you had Saul. And all these guys were part of this, this leadership and teaching dream team. And then the Holy Spirit says, we're going to take two of those guys out of here. Because I want these guys to go into mission work. And friends, the, the thing I think we have to understand is that fully functioning followers give their best regardless of who gets the credit. Now this may not be immediately obvious to you from this passage of scripture, but when you think about a church with several gifted leaders and teachers, it's easy for ego to get involved. And yet you don't see that here. Here's Barnabas, listed first, Saul, listed dead last, didn't seem to matter. The question is, are they getting it done for the cause of Christ? And so off they go. They're sent off into the mission field, and they actually end up going right back to Barnabas' hometown or home area on the island of Cyprus. And this mission trip, they were gone, scholars estimate, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of two years now, interestingly, partway through this missionary journey, an interesting thing happens. And commentators focus some attention on Acts 13.13. 13. This is something you would not normally notice, probably. But Saul is now known as Paul. There's been a name change. And always before in Acts, when these two guys are mentioned together, Barnabas is mentioned first until Acts 13, 13. It says there from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga. Now it's known from Scripture that Barnabas was in that group. But Barnabas is no longer mentioned first. Paul is mentioned first. It's evident and scholars believe that Paul had become the leader of this mission enterprise. In fact, by the end of Acts 15, Barnabas fades from view. 
At the end of that chapter, he actually goes on a mission trip with somebody else and they head back to Cyprus to check on the churches there and Paul and others go in a different direction. And Paul becomes the focus of the rest of Acts. My friends, you know, when you think about it, it took a tremendous amount of humility for Barnabas to go from the guys always listed first to an unmentioned member of a team, Paul and his companions. And friends, that's one of those things that it takes to be a great team player. Team player mindset number four is I stay focused on Christ and his cause with gratitude for the contributions of my teammates. See, it's not about who gets the credit. It's about whether or not the cause moves forward. So friends, fully functioning followers possess a kingdom first mindset. They know it's, it's not about me. They commit to grow and develop for the good of the team. They pursue excellence for the cause of Christ. They value the contribution of others and they realize that their impact is maximized within the context of a team. And they give their best regardless of who gets the credit. They stay focused on Christ and his cause with gratitude for the contributions of others. Well, friends, I've thought a lot in the past week and a half about that woman that I met in the waiting room. And I thought, I found myself asking the question, what is it going to take for Good News Gathering to continue to be the church that she has the impression we are? A force for good in our community. A church that is about to explode and to reach more people. What is it going to take? And I have to tell you, friends, it's going to take all of us developing that team player mindset. Many of you know that every year in January we do a survey of our entire church congregation or at least as many of the folks as we can. And this past year we did that typical survey and we asked a bunch of questions that really worked their way around that G diagram. Are you, are you involved in this? Is there something, you know, is there, is there, are, are, you, are you getting the good news? Are you growing? Are, and the, those kind of questions and I have to tell you, friends, I got a survey back that just nearly broke my heart. Because as this person, and these are all anonymous, don't anybody freak out here, but this person that filled out the survey indicated that they'd never attended class 101 or class 201 or class 301 or class 401. No, 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 on all of them. Ask what activities are you involved in that help you follow Jesus better and it was just left blank. Next question was, what statement best describes your current volunteer service at G&G? I have not volunteered at G&G. That's their answer. Which of the following reasons most frequently keeps you from serving? Answer, hard to take the first step. 
During the past year, how many times did you invite an individual or a family to attend G&G with you? Answer, zero. During the past year, how many times have you shared your faith with an unchurched friend or family member? Answer, I did not share my faith with anyone. The reasons I do not bring guests with me to G&G more often are, check all that apply. Answer, I don't invite guests. Here's what broke my heart. How long have you attended G&G? 15 years. How often do you attend? Weekly. Now friends, I want to make sure we're real clear on what I'm about to say. Because I'm not talking to those of you that have not crossed the line of faith. If you are not a Christian yet, I'm not talking to you right now. We just hope you'll keep coming back and hopefully at some point maybe you'll commit your life to Christ. If you're new to Good News Gathering, you just started coming and you're still checking things out, you're not sure if you want to make this your church home, I'm not talking to you right now. Um, we hope you'll keep coming and, and hopefully at some point you'll make that decision that this is, this is where you want to be. If you've been serving and maybe serving at a high level of commitment and you've decided to take a break because you just kind of need to rest and get your batteries recharged, I'm not talking to you, okay? Take, take your time, get your rest, but get back in the game soon. Maybe there's a physical issue that keeps you from serving or maybe you have a family member that has a physical issue and it's your job to take care of that person we understand that. Right now, I'm talking to is people who, have, who are Christians and who have been here for a year or more and you've just made a decision not to get involved, not to serve. Here's what I have to say, friends. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for you. And I'm sorry that for whatever reason, we don't know how to help you grow at this church. If you've been here for 52 weeks and you've gotten, you've gotten our best shot, you've gotten my best shot, you've got Wayne's best shot, you've got JD's best shot, and you've got it week after week, and if it still hasn't moved you to become a fully fo- functioning follower, we are done. We've got nothing left. We've given you the best we've got. You need to find a church that can help you become a follower of Jesus Christ because you're not. And you need to hear that from somebody who loves you enough to tell you the truth. My friends, I know that's hard. But nowhere in the Bible is faith distinguished from action. Faith plays itself out in how we live. Now this morning, I'd like for you to take out your connect card, if you would, please.
And I want to thank all of you that filled out Connect cards last week. We had 118 of those come in, and that was super helpful because many of you filled out that you were planning on coming to the fair, and so we had an idea of how many tickets to get and that kind of thing. And some of you indicated you're coming to Next Gen, and that's there on the card. If you're still, if you want to come to that, we would love to have you come to that Next Gen open house uh, that's coming up on August the 28th, and just. Check that box, if you would, please, so that we can prepare and and know how many people are coming. Now, for those of you that were here last week, you know we had a baptism celebration. And for those of you that were baptized, if you would, please, stop at the Welcome Center before you leave today because we got your baptismal certificate there and we got a gift for you. And um, we'd love love to give that to you today. Also... For those of you that were here last week and you witnessed this, or those of you that are part of the Good News Gathering family, maybe you weren't able to be here last week, we have the names of all of the folks and their addresses who were baptized on this half sheet that you received in your information. And what I would like you to do, friends, is this. Let's all be like Barnabas this week. Let's all send those folks who are baptized a note or a card of encouragement. Something as simple as, hey... Thanks. We're glad you joined the family. Our congratulations on your baptism, but let them, let's let them know that they've joined a family that cares about them. One last thing. On that box, on the center of the back side of your Connect card, that third box down indicates SOPC Walk for Life. Some of you may not be familiar with that. It is. The Southern Ohio Pregnancy Center is a partner ministry with us. We work with them, and they're doing a walkathon for life on September the 14th. We had 18 people sign up to be walkers last week. I told the director, <laughs> I told the director of Southern Eye Pregnancy Center that we would shoot for 40 walkers this year. So please consider that and consider the impact that we can have on young families that are in crisis pregnancy situations. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this example from the life of Barnabas of what it means to be a team player. Father, help us to be a church of team players. A church that keeps your kingdom first. A church that's a force for good in our community. A church that that lady in the waiting room has the right impression about. That we're a force for good. For this is our prayer in Christ's name and we all agreed together and said, Amen.